Hello and welcome to Queering Desi. I'm your host, Priya. As a South Asian queer non-binary person, I have learned a lot on my journey of self-acceptance and building community. So in each episode, I will bring you a slice of South Asian LGBTQ life with a guest who exemplifies what it means to be who you are and to live your truth. I like to create a safe and open discussion with our guests and listeners. So if the topics on this podcast are controversial, please know these opinions are of the guest and host, and we don't mean any offense. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to a brand new episode of Queering Daisy. On this week's episode, I talked to Kareem Kupchandani, an assistant professor at Tufts University, who many of you may also know as his drag avatar, Lahore Vajistan. I asked Kareem about his research on gender and culture, as well as what drew him to drag and a lot of his upcoming book projects, including Ishtail, about gay Indian nightlife. Later, we play some fun games as well, so I hope you'll stick around for that. Kareem is one of those people that I felt like I could talk to forever, and it was a great conversation. So without much further ado, here's Kareem. Welcome to Queering Desi. Uh, this week, I'm very excited to have Kareem Kupchandani, who some of you may know as Lahore Vajistan, on the show. Welcome, Kareem. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself and your pronouns briefly? Sure. So I'm Kareem Kupchandani. I'm a professor at Tufts University in Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies and Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies. I'm also a performer. I welcome all pronouns, actually. Yeah. That's great. So I want to start there with like, for lack of a better like question, but into the boring stuff of like your title and what you do. I don't think I know any academics in this realm. Like, can you talk a little bit about what you do and some of your research? So I was trained in performance studies. I I grew up in Ghana and I went to the U.S. for undergraduate when I was 17 years old, hoping to be a chemical engineer. <laughs> and I was taking, you know, math and chem advanced chemistry and I was I loved it, but I also had to take distribution requirements and in that process I took an anthropology class and specifically an anthropology of dance class. Just, you know, something to try. And it was with an incredible Sri Lankan professor named Yamuna Sangarasivam. Mm -hmm. And I was just fascinated because she had danced with Michael Jackson. Wow. In his black or white video. Wow. But but really what I learned in that class is that bodies have a lot of meaning. Mm. And bodies can do a lot of things to live inside of politics and reorg reorganize them as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of stayed with me as I, as I moved away from the hard sciences mm -hmm. into social sciences. And then I, uh, at my job after graduating, I just used to choreograph and direct shows and write plays. And a friend was like, have you heard of performance studies? And she helped me apply to a performance studies program. But performance studies, which is what I do as a scholar and as an artist, I guess, is performance studies thinks about the world as performance, everyday life, pedagogy and teaching things that are on stage, things are that are off stage. Mm. Um, and so I think about nightlife as performance. Mm. I think about the way we move on the dance floor, the way we enter a space. You know, it's just like entering the theater when you enter the club and all the lights right. hit you, right? It feels like you're entering the theater. Awesome. So using performance as a metaphor to think about nightlife. And then my, my project that I'm just finishing up is on queer South Asian nightlife specifically. Mm. So I look at a transnational class of workers who move across rural, urban, international borders, mm. 
So IT workers, call center workers, software engineers, people who are made mobile by global change and economy, Mm. primarily men, who use nightlife as a place to practice their other identities that are not Mm. workers, right? The only way we think about global workers is like the nerdy IT guy. (laughs) Um, And in fact, these people are really creative and Mm. sexually free and interesting and, and working through all these questions of identity on the dance floor mm. um, and through hookup apps. And yeah. um, all of these things come out, right, in those spaces. Yeah. And sometimes they're disciplined for them and they're told that's the wrong way to dance or that's the wrong way to dress or you shouldn't smell that way. Like, mm. So I'm thinking about how nightlife becomes a place where we're taught to be global citizens through movement and dance, as mm. I, where I started, but also through other kinds of style. Mm. Can you talk a bit about how like South Asian culture and queer culture kind of intersect with those things? Because I know like the global scale you're talking about can mean so much, but specifically for our communities, it's often like a safe space. It's often a refuge, but it's also a space of exploration. Can you talk a little bit about just like how that weaves into it a little? That's great. Yeah. I love that we're doing this in London because London's Club Kali was the first queer South Asian night I'd ever heard of. And it's one of the longest running South Asian diasporic party nights. And it's run out of a community space as opposed to a nightclub. Mm. So often South Asians haven't had access to nightlife or haven't had an intimate access to nightlife because we go in and they're playing tracks that don't feel familiar, right? They aren't the things our parents listen to. They aren't the... Um, we have multiple cultural products we subscribe mm. to and and a certain type of them like Bollywood yeah. or Indian pop don't make it in there, right? Or Lollywood or any of those things. So these kinds of nights like Club Kali or Desilicious in New York or Rangila in Toronto will play a different kind of music. We'll have, there are different kinds of bodies in the space mm. and there's an appreciation for those kinds of movements and bodies. And, and so it, it becomes a safe space, right? Yeah. But, but more than safe, it becomes a, a place to try on new movements and the feel, the feelings that come with them, you know, the, the Sri Devi, like her, all her faces, right? You can do them in that club and you don't look like a fool yeah. <laughs> as you would perhaps at GAY down the street. Right. We're here in Soho, right? right. Like, yeah. Um, I think that's what's really beautiful about these spaces, mm. that we can reconnect to sounds and movements and feelings that feel a little bit more like home. Mm. Um, what I also find in my research is that sometimes bringing those movements into the nightclub that aren't usually there can change the way nightlife feels, mm. right? Instead of escape from heteronormativity, it actually brings us back to the like heteronormative Bollywood film. Right. But then we transform that, right? And we we reenact it differently on the dance floor. And I think that that's really important. But you'll also find that these spaces are predominantly men mm. and can be quite sexist and transphobic. Not always. And ableist as well. And, mm. and sometimes anti-Black or I found in, in the U.S. anti-Latino because... Mm-hmm. We are the good immigrants, and they are the mm. bad immigrants, right? So, so they, I've seen I've seen these these conflicts happen in these spaces as well, through language, through dance, through the way people talk about it. After you know, at at the end of the night, you go out for food, and people say talk about what happened yeah. <laughs> at the party. Yeah. Um, the other thing I found also is that people in the diaspora talk about India, like, oh, we can party here, and we they count over there and mm. pour them, and and so I went, and then like my project spans uh, Chicago and, mm. and Bangalore, but. There's a huge party scene there. 
it looks different. And there's a preference for techno and EDM in the clubs because they also want to practice this kind of escape, right? right. And so to leave the the heteronormativity of everyday India, you you say no to Bollywood and you say yes to techno. <laughs> it's almost uh, like two sides of the, like a coin. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there are people there who, I was doing my research in Bangalore and people want South Indian music mm. as well, right? And to dance to those things because those are the sounds that feel like familiar and home. And that's the, the language people speak every day. Right? And there's conflicts around what gets played at the nightclub there too. So I think that this, this question of what feels good <laughs> and to whom is and is something that comes up a lot across the project. And I think it's important to think about people's joy and fun, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's actually a really important question we need to ask is, other than safety, right? Mm. Other than safe space, what is a feel-good, exciting, joyous space? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's great that you bring that up because I do think we think of it, we kind of tend to overthink it sometimes as well. And I think something that I hope that you can speak to, actually, I know that you can speak to, and I would love to talk about is the influx of drag in that space, right? So when you're breaking gender norms in a different way, or you're bringing out that exploration side, how does that factor into it in those spaces? So I'll tell you about my first, first time going to a queer desi night, mm-hmm. which was the first Desilicious in wow. New York City. And there wasn't a drag show planned, but a trans woman requested a song, broke into dance, and did Mardala. And Devdas had just come out. Mm-hmm. And it was mesmerizing because instead of the quota with the the mirrors and the gilded opulence, it was laser lights and mm-hmm. brown bodies, right? And my own, I guess, transphobia was also operating as like, oh my God, she can like actually pull me to dance with her, which is terrifying. But it, it speaks to the like liveness of bringing the film to life. Like mm-hmm. you can be pulled into it. And that's, I think, what frightened me and excited me at the same time. And... I, th- I think that that's the power of drag in the space mm-hmm. is to pull you into new worlds. And the way people respond when I perform in drag tells me that as well, because I see them lip sync. They're, they're like living their best lives <laughs> while I'm performing. The, the urgency with which people want to tip me because they like something I did, mm-hmm. right? Or because they feel some relation to the song, the movement, the, what I'm wearing, that kind of urgency actually tells you what this means to them to see these kinds of things performed. So I, I did Sri Devi's Hava Hawaii and mm-hmm. someone comes up to me and he says, you know, the last time I heard that song, I was sitting on my grandmother's lap. Right. Wow. And and that the nightclub can actually transport you back to your grandmother's club. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's what drag does. That's why some of the best drag queens are doing old songs or doing ballads that aren't the right kind of music for the nightclub, right? You can't like <laughs> bop with them. <laughs> But these ballads actually make us feel something more and feel beautiful in other ways. That's, I think, the power of drag is its ability to make us feel together. Mm. I think the widespread nature of drag in South Asian nightlife, I think we attribute to RuPaul's Drag Race. But as I said, in 2002, it wasn't drag per se, right? It was just someone taking over the dance floor to do a number Mm. and other people making room to watch. And I think that not everything is drag race. Yeah. Right. And we haven't had a South Asian queen on drag race. Right. We don't have that 
kind of role model. I think we actually have to remember that there were these trans women in hijras and kotis and other other folks who who cross gender binaries who have been doing this kind of work for us mm. and making us feel together. If you think about pride marches in India, it's the hijras who are dancing at the forefront of the parade who get <laughs> photographed, not the parade, the march, yeah. who get photographed, right? right? Who do the the spectacle work right. for us, right? And and make us feel like we're joyous together. Otherwise, we're just sort of marching and waving a little flag, right? right? But they bring that movement, that energy, that dynamism to our political movements, just as drag queens do in, in the U.S. and as trans women of color did at Stonewall, right? That they carry a force, right? Yeah. That is a kind of artistry. And, and I think that we really have to give credit to them. Does that answer? Yeah, absolutely. Point? Absolutely. And I'm curious for you, like, how did drag come into your life? And do you have like a first memory of it or something that was kind of evoked in you? So I guess that that Mardala story really moved me and, and has stayed with me and I can still see it now. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, where I, I learned the, the power of it. But I sort of assumed that the drag show was part of queer Desi nightlife, right? Because Desi Licious is the only party I'd ever been to. So when I when I moved to Chicago, I was going to a lot of drag shows. There's a great drag scene there. I had otherwise only lived in small towns in the U.S. and and in Ghana, I didn't see any drag shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say that cross dressing wasn't unfamiliar to me mm-hmm. because at our community festivals and Diwali shows. There were always aunties dressed as men doing Raj Kapoor, doing Salman Khan, doing Shah Rukh Khan at our festivals because the men don't really dance, right? And and Bollywood being that heteronormative form, yeah. if you're going to do a number, right, someone has to play the man, yeah. right? And so all my aunties were always doing drag and I, I guess, right, like yeah. it's some kind of drag. So it wasn't unfamiliar, mm-hmm. but it does have a power when it is in, all, in an all queer space, right? And that... It feels sexier, perhaps, right? Or or queer spaces tend to be sexually charged, and I think that creates a, a much more exciting performance in some ways. But it was in Chicago that I saw a drag scene and started going to shows and really falling in love with what drag queens could do mm-hmm. um, and how how they get on the mic and MC the night and make people laugh and play, and I, I really loved that. So that's where I, I got into drag as a scene. When I moved to Chicago, Tricon Chicago was just forming mm. and we were doing a fundraiser, uh, which was going to be a Bollywood party. Mm. And I just was like, well, they see nightlife has drag queens, so we should have drag. Mm. And I couldn't find anyone to do it. Mm. <laughs> and so I just did it for the first time. That's how I got into it. Mm. Um, but really, it, it was an inspiration of these Pakistani and Indian trans women and cross-dressers and drag artists mm-hmm. in at Desilicious on the one hand, and these Black and Latina queens in Chicago on the other, who really shaped what I wanted my drag to look like and feel like. Yeah. Um, how did you come up with the name? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I, I guess... It was my very sort of academic approach to mm. art making, but I wanted a name that addressed India and Pakistan and Bangladesh, South Asia's history, right? Mm. And so, well, one is Lahore is gesturing to what is now Pakistan because my family was displaced out of Pakistan mm. because we're Hindu Sindhi merchants. And so I, I think I'm always read as Indian 
and to insist upon a more dynamic version of South Asia, right? That so so one to place myself in in Pakistan and to claim that in some way, and then the the W core because I think <laughs> I think drag is supposed to be sexy and and sex positive right. and sex work positive, right? So so all of that there, and then Rajasthan has this like. If you look at the shape of the of the <laughs> subcontinent, you've got a beautiful Vajasthan. So, yeah, that, I mean, yeah. it's just this way of like after the British and the Dutch and the French separated it all, yeah. right? To put it all together, what might that look like, right? Mm-hmm. And what and what might a, a really expansive and generous version of the subcontinent look like that can include its diaspora, that include mm-hmm. those people who are displaced in different kinds of ways by dictatorships, by colonialism, by transphobia and homophobia, right? Like, yeah. I, I think that that's very much the mission inside of imagining a different kind of subcontinent in the mm-hmm. name. Yeah, I think like one thing, you when you talk about drag this way, I think something that always, I can never quite, get to the core of it. And I'm curious about your thoughts, but like South Asia has this history of quadrasaras and hijras. And and you mentioned like at the march, you know, or in India or in, in South Asia that they will be at the front of the things. And there's this weird reverence for them. And I say weird because it's, it's almost hypocritical, right? That transphobia and celebration of these communities can kind of live together. I'm curious how that kind of comes into these drag spaces, right? Because Barring the gender identity of the performer, they're not always a trans person that's doing this or someone that's cross-dressing. It might just be something that's social and something that's casual. And there's almost this reverence for it that doesn't, I feel like it almost doesn't like pay enough respect to, except for in this conversation, right? You're, we were literally talking about it, but I think it's always, it's always curious for me that it's like, you know, you get to live in this experience for like a brief three minute performance. Whereas for trans folks or people that are, you know, cross-dressing or have to kind of face all this transphobia um, in all these other spaces that you don't have to do that. I'm curious what your thoughts are about that, especially when it comes to nightlife in these spaces, because I don't I think in some limited parties that I've been to, I don't think of, I think it's always been like men performing in drag attire and on some level that I think that bugs me but yeah I'm just curious about your thoughts on that that's a wonderful question I uh the first thing I think about is Bidgley there's a documentary available on YouTube called Bidgley mm-hmm. by I think Adnan Malik and in that Bidgley talks about herself saying I don't want to be desired. She's performing at Desilicious. Mm-hmm. And she says, I don't want to be desired as a drag queen. I don't want to be desired as a man dressed as a woman, right? Mm-hmm. So she's already articulating this problem mm-hmm. of, of the assumption we're making about who we see in nightlife mm-hmm. and who is doing drag for us, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's... So it's just a really great example. Uh, um, and I love this movie. It's a short documentary. But what I've seen in Chicago and in India is that drag artists are actually learning a lot about their gender by doing drag. Mm. I've seen people transition. I've seen people change their gender presentation um, at different scales. Mm. But that the opportunity to do drag, even for these middle to elite class men, Mm. right, is actually helping them understand their genders differently. And I think that that's really important, that Mm. that opportunity exists. In these elite nightclub spaces in India, I think that there are some spaces that are inviting hijras to perform. Mm. Often they're the most light-skinned and Bollywood-presenting hijras who are doing those kinds of 
dances as well. But I think that some access is opening up in ways that it didn't exist before. Mm. The thing that bugs me is that drag is understood as artistry and hijra performance is understood as cultural practice, right? Mm. And I think that that binary is, is bothersome because hijras are incredible dancers and they dance is one of the few occupations available to them, right? Mm. <laughs> they are, in fact incredible artists um, mm. and need to be acknowledged as such. Mm. And actually the, the Bangalore Queer Film Festival programmed a, a transgender performance troupe into their opening ceremonies. Mm. And I was watching Instagram stories of it and I've never seen anything so great, so fun. I've never seen the audience so alive. And it, it translated through, mm. this. Is, I mean, these are heritage trans feminine performers yeah. um, doing folk dance but it was inside like a nice theater space with fancy lighting and all of that nonsense. Mm-hmm. And it translated beautifully, right? And and I think that's one of those moments where I saw trans South Asian artistry really be lifted up as that, right? As something that can activate queer community through its sexiness and fun and pleasure, which is what drag does, right? Yeah. So so that's I guess one example I have of that. Yeah. And now it's time for a quick break, but we'll be back shortly on Korean Desi with Kareem. Hi, Queering Desi listeners. This is Priya. I want to take a moment to share something with you. As South Asian LGBTQIA folks, our strength is our diversity. We come from a variety of backgrounds, and what we wear is so often essential to being able to express who we are. Whether you're breaking barriers, deconstructing stigmas, or pursuing your passion, there's a brand called Bakwas Apparel that understands what it means to be who you are and what it takes to be true to yourself something we believe in deeply here at Kering Desi. Inspired by this generation of go-getters, innovators, disruptors, and dreamers, Bakwas takes pride in designing apparel that embraces and shares this multicultural identity to the world. Check out the awesome designs on their website at www.bakwasapparel.com. That's B-A-K-W-A-A-S apparel.com. And use the code KK10 for an exclusive discount just for you, our listeners. Join the movement, be bequas. Okay, back to the show. Can you talk about your book now that's coming out of so much of this research? So the, the book is titled Ishtile, Accenting Gay Indian Nightlife. I love the name. <laughs> uh, someone yesterday was saying, oh, you're reclaiming Ishtile, right? And and to me, this this idea of Ishtile as like the thing we, we laugh at has always been how I felt like I'd look and dress like just always mm. too much. Mm. I didn't even think about it reclaiming. It just sort of is my MO. Yeah. Um, prints on prints on prints and just being too much. So, so so that's the title of the book. And and it's uh it had there are two chapters that are on Bangalore's nightlife. Mm. One that thinks about the relationship between tech and tech companies and economic and uh infrastructural change in Bangalore mm. in relationship to gay nightlife there. Another that thinks about law in relationship to sexuality, not through Section 377, which is the law that criminalized sodomy, but rather through a temporary ban on dancing mm. in Bangalore. I think because 377 is just sort of overdone um, in some sense, or 
it can't account for all the ways that sexuality is policed. Yeah. And sometimes sexuality is policed through dance. Yeah. Um, and so so that those are my Bangalore chapters. And then there are two chapters on Chicago, one on race and desire and the way South Asian bodies are racialized. Mm-hmm. Um, from everything through smelling like curry and having body hair to being really great partners because they have stable jobs, mm. right? So it's through labor and through the body that um, we're re- racialized and desired. The other chapter on Chicago is about this party that I started throwing when I moved there called Jeho, mm. and how we try to accent nightlife with different kinds of Indianness and the limits of that as well. Mm. Then the last two chapters are on media and the nightclub. So one on Bollywood and one on uh, South Indian film dance and how both those dance forms can transform the nightclub. So the one on Bollywood looks at Madhuri and Sri Devi mm. and how their legacies and their movement shows up in the nightclub. And the one on South Indian film dance uh, looks specifically at Kuth, which is a, a percussion-based music by Dalit heritage performers. Mm. Um, and what it means for Dalit sound to come to the nightclub and mm. who gets to enjoy it and who gets left out of the nightclub, even if the music travels in. Wow, that yeah. sounds amazing. When does this come out again? comes out in July 2020. That's Wonderful. Um, You have a couple of other book projects. Anything you can talk about with us? Yeah, um, I'm co-editing a book called Queer Nightlife Mm -hmm. with my colleagues Ramon Rivera Cervera and Kemi Adeyemi. And I'm really excited because it works on the assumption that nightlife is Black and brown and queer and trans and global. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So they're, they're essays on Indigenous people crossing national borders, their essays on dance moving across the United States from New York to Hawaii mm. and to the Pacific Islands, their essays about Cuba and India and Lebanon. And it's a mixture of long-form academic essays and short think pieces. Mm. So it really mixes different kinds of writing. Their essays by that are by artists as well as mm. by academics. So I'm just really excited for a book that helps us take stock of all the things that queer nightlife can be, mm-hmm. including not at night <laughs> um, and not inside the club and not mm-hmm. just about men. And then I'm starting, part of why I'm in London is to start a new project on aunties. Mm-hmm. So it's titled Ontologies, Queer Aesthetics and South Asian Aunties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've mentioned my aunties before and how they danced in Ghana and they taught me to dance. Um, and I think aunties actually give us a lot, even as they take away a lot of opportunities, right? By saying, don't do this, don't do that. Mm. They they restrict our performance, but I think they give us a lot of tools with which to be queer. And so there are some artists that I'm really inspired by in the ways that they stage aunties. And mm. so I'm I'm thinking about my own aunties, about all these um, representations of aunties, mm-hmm. all the auntie jokes and auntie memes that exist. So I've got, I've actually got an Instagram called Ontologies, mm-hmm. A-U-N-T-O-L-O-G-I-E-S, mm-hmm. that has all my auntie memes. Um, shout out to your Bad Brown Aunties episode as well, because yes. that was great. Um, <laughs> and that podcast is great if people don't already know about it. I do have to ask, like, what is the most annoying auntie question at a wedding? Like, what, <laughs> for you, like, what's the, what um, is the... You mentioned memes, I got to ask. Like, what's the... I will give my auntie some credit. So I went back to Ghana for the first time in 18 years. Not one auntie asked why I'm not married. 
Mm. Props to them, right? Yeah. Like that's that's like amazing. Because I was, I knew the question was coming, and I didn't know what my answer would be, and it never came, and that's like unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Um, but the most horrifying auntie question I've, I had, the same auntie would ask me every time I saw her, was, "Who's going to marry you if you're so dark?" Mm. I'm like, not even. I like. <laughs> Right. There are shades of dark, and I'm not even I, like I'm like I don't know what her standards are. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, I don't know what that has to do with being married. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last question I'll ask you before we get to some some fun and games is a question I ask everyone, which is if you could give your younger self any advice, what would it be? I would say find a better relationship to your body, and I say that because. Something like PE was horrifying to me, right? And my my PE teacher would say, he said to me, what happened to you? Your brothers are so good at sports, right? Mm. And I just wasn't fast or couldn't, wasn't flexible and didn't enjoy competitive mm. sports. But now I have like movement and my body is so much, much a part of what I do, right? And so this is not about weight but it's about strength and and understanding of my body that I that PE or other activities could have given me as a younger person and I think that we don't always give young people a, a healthy relationship to their body mm. and so as an adult you're like I wish I but my body could do that right and now like working as an artist I never imagined myself as an artist mm. right who works with my body mm. um and so I wish I just wish my body could do more things and had more trainings over a longer period of time that you know were not an option to me and also I I uh you know, I wish I came to dance earlier. I wish all, I wish all of those things. So I wish for my younger self to have a different relationship to movement and the body that mm. that would make me just more beautiful today. Yeah, well, that is that is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I, I love that advice. We're going to play some games in this segment. Um, we're going to start with a rapid fire. Oh, and God. I will, okay. um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be as rapid. <laughs> and I'm not stealing any trademarks from Karen Joher, I hope. Um <laughs> But I will preface this by saying there are some things in this that I'm not familiar with, so I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> the first question is, who is your favorite dancer or actress from any industry, era, anything? Helen, Burmese French Bollywood actress, always the villain or vamp, um, mm. and super sexy, and improvised a lot, so I, I just think she's great. I love that. Do you have a favorite movie? Oh, God. Um, mean Girls. I watch it on repeat. It's just, mm. like, always on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a go-to song to perform to? Yeah. Um, Celine Dion's It's All Coming Back to Me Now. Ah. Yeah. That's a good choice. And, and then the other one is Kajrari. <laughs> yeah. A nice balance between yeah, yeah, the two. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is where it gets sticky for me because I don't watch Drag Race. But I wanted to say the name of the performer and see if you can identify their stage name. Oh, um, so I'll give you there, like the other way around. I figure you'd okay. be able to oh do it. God. Yeah, <laughs> we'll try it, and if we'll it try. ends up terrible, then. But Alexander Hedges Steinberg. No idea. Sasha Valor. Oh. Yeah. Who have okay. yeah. Um, Giovanni Palindrani. No idea. I, I'm not going to be answer, be able to answer. Really? Okay. I know, and I like I, a, yeah. I watch it on. Actually, I was watching Drag Race yesterday. Yeah. And. For the first time, I saw that the credits actually name Say all their, their names. names. Yeah. But I was like, I don't need to know that. <laughs> I literally yesterday, and I like, 
Yeah. So, so the- um, no, that's I, I was actually not sure how to incorporate Drag Race into a rapid fire, so I thought this was the best way to go. But yeah, and you went. It was really, it's really hard. <laughs> um, that's Aquaria, and I'm gonna all say all the names. Wrong. Oh, so I didn't know well. that. Yeah. Because at go. the end, Ru- RuPaul asked, yeah. "What would you say to your younger self?" Uh-huh. Right. Uh, to, to young Wait, does Giovanni. Ru- does RuPaul do that too? Uh, only for <laughs> yeah, only for the final four. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where you learn. That's where I like hear the names. That's uh-huh. how I knew okay. that. And it's interesting because for Peppermint, who was the first out trans mm. woman on the show, she doesn't say the childhood name. Mm, she just course. shows the the picture and says, what would you say to your younger self? Yeah. Which is like a great... Wow, that's yeah. a nice way to... Yeah, I didn't know how much people would know the real names yeah. anyway. But um, so we already did the other rapid fire <laughs> questions. So that was a great rapid fire round. Um, we're going to move to <laughs> our next game, which is uh, reality versus Instagram. So these are just a few questions about Instagram, I think, oh um, okay. especially for folks like yourself and any a lot of the guests on this show, like I've first come across you on social media. Mm. So I'm curious... Um, how many takes does it take for you to get the perfect selfie? Are we talking about Lahore or Kareem? Both, either. Okay. Um, perfect selfie? I've never taken a perfect selfie. <laughs> That's I like, a great answer. <laughs> like, other people have to take the picture. I cannot find, I, I just, I, yeah. 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 <laughs> for, for both Lahore and for Kareem? Yeah. yeah. I get, I'm, so, like, yeah. always dissatisfied with selfies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a fair answer. And I'm going to blame it on the camera, like, that the front camera is not as good as the back camera, but... <laughs> Yeah. I just got a new phone for that reason, so I get it. <laughs> um, do you have a go-to filter? Oh, um, Valencia. I, I like things oversaturated, mm. so Valencia or there's another one that burns things out really well. Uh-huh. That I, yeah. Do you have a favorite hashtag that you like to use with either Lahore um, or Cream? Auntie looked amazing. Mm. Where does that come from? Because I, I look amazing when I'm in drag. <laughs> So, well, I just thought yeah. you coined that phrase. I did. Yeah, that's yeah. an amazing. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's no, great. it's like I like yeah. I like yeah. I I make when I do shows, I make people hashtag that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I like that. Um, and the other one is House of Vajasthan. Ah, uh, I like yeah. that. That's uh, because that's... I can use that on both too. Ah, uh, fair. Oh, I like both of those. Um, how many stories is too many? Because there's some people that post a lot. Like, how many stories will you watch before you swipe? Oh no, I'm I'm a watcher. You watch all of them? I'll watch it. Um I won't if it's vlogging, I won't. Yeah. But if it's like the thing that I do watch all the time is when people do visits to galleries and museums mm-hmm. and they like post everything that they look at, I will look at everything. Mm-hmm. And food, I'll look at everything. Yeah. <laughs> um I hate doing concerts when someone does like oh, seven of the concert from like far away and it's dark. The, I'm like, yeah, I why? don't know why I have to watch that stuff. <laughs> That's just boomerangs. Yeah. That's all you yeah. <laughs> Uh, dogs or babies? Who would you rather follow on Instagram? Like dogs, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I follow a lot of dogs. Well, like dog, yeah, dog yeah. meme accounts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you have a favorite account or person to follow? Ooh, there's a DJ in Chicago who's Derek Carter, I think his name is. But his account is Bluku B L U C U, and his meme game is amazing. And he puts them all on his stories. Ah. So yeah. Oh, that's my, cool. My day's not complete without watching all his stories. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Well, I really, I yeah. love memes more than dogs and 
Yeah, more than dogs. I should I'd add like. that to the next, <laughs> next time I do this. I should add memes. That's yeah. no, that's fair. I think um, I think memes and gifs are like the future. I mean, that's how we communicate now. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but thank you. I, that's all the questions I had. It's been such an amazing conversation know, with you. Really so thank nice you, to you for being on Crying They See. Can you shout out your uh, Instagram and social media handles so people can follow? Yeah. You? So I have uh, three Instagrams: Kareem Puff. K-A-R-E-M-P-U-F-F. And then Ontologies and Lahore Vajasthan are my three things. Well, thank you so much for being on Creating Daisy Cream. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and to make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Queering Daisy. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please feel free to reach us on social media or drop us an email at queeringdaisy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.